joined by the amazing Louise Gatoris, also known to many of you as Tales of a Lady Gun um, on Instagram. Hi Louise, how are you? I'm very well, thank you Joe. Lovely to be here, darling. Before we get into our topic, which is the Wild West of gun dog training, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into the gun dog world? Yeah, I mean I always say um, I, it's something I accidentally fell into, a bit like Alice in Wonderland falling down the rabbit hole. And, um, you know, we just got a puppy um, and I found myself in uh, puppy training, which was gun dog training. And I think they say the rest is history. I kind of got very passionate about it. It was a time in my life when I could make space for something different for me. And it was just a window that opened and I haven't stopped loving it ever since, really. And um, I've gone from one dog to 11. So... (laughs) (laughs) This weekend's messages literally yeah. broke my heart. Sunday broke my heart, right? It started on Saturday night. In our group, I saw a message where basically, I won't single the message out, but somebody asked for advice. And the advice that was under it, some of it really shocked me. I was like, we're in our open membership. Have we suddenly allowed that type of conversation to go on. So that conversation was stopped very, very quickly. Uh, I contacted the group experts. They jumped in. We put the novice right because the novice was getting incorrect information without a doubt. Perfect. So on Sunday morning, or maybe on Saturday night I put the message up about, it was basically trainers stop telling novice handlers that they have to beat their dog in order to do a good job with it because that doesn't reflect on their ability to train. It reflects on your ability to teach them to train. If you think the only way you can train a dog is to pick it up by the scruff and punch it in the face, then you really shouldn't be a trainer. A, you shouldn't have dogs of your own, but B, you certainly shouldn't be a trainer because when the novices are going to them, and you've probably seen it because you've been a novice and I've been a novice, and I still probably convince myself all the time that I am, we don't know what we don't know. And we look to the people who are to- we are told know they know what they're doing with gun dogs, or we see people out with gun dogs who are perfectly well behaved, and we think, oh, that's what I want. And then we go and seek out advice and help and think, how do I get there? And then if we're unfortunate enough to fall onto one of these trainers, we either go along with it because we're too scared not to, or we believe that that's the way these animals should be trained, or we leave and come away from it and never go back to gun dog training ever again, or we leave, come away from it and go to the opposite side of the spectrum completely where we find a trainer that says, don't stop your dog chasing sheep, wait until it comes back. Don't worry about your dog running 14 miles away. Wait till it comes back because we're not going to get involved with the dog's choices. To me, it must be for for a youngster, a novice, the most baffling place in the world they've ever walked into. And I said to you when I sort of sent you the conversation about this, I feel like gender training is literally the Wild West. You literally have no concept of what you are going to get. Agreed. So when you first came into gun dog training, probably like me, you were a little bit like, where do I start? Yeah. How did you work that through? So for me, I actually came in very sideways because um, I got this puppy and the guy who I bought him from said, oh, you might want to take him to this puppy trainer. Um, I wasn't actually thinking about gun dog stuff. And this was how it all began for me. So I went along just thinking it was a puppy session and it had been, you know, 12 years since we'd had um, a puppy. So I just thought, oh, no, this is a really good idea. Went along. He turned out to be a gun dog trainer. Oh, whoa. okay. So I had no expectation, I think, which probably helped me because I didn't know that I was going to go on to do what I was doing. So therefore, the expectation was not there. I was just learning, listening the guy had a really lovely way with his dogs, he, a lovely delivery, um, and yeah, he seemed to know what he was doing. 
was a little bit shouty in places, a little bit patronising, I thought. We all had to do things singularly, you know. But then as time went on, I became more and more fascinated by this world of gun dogs and what that meant. So I, I, I kept on doing it. And, you know, my job was doing the things that were required and asked. But when I look back on it, there are times when, like heel work, for example, um, you know, and the way in which it was being taught, I think he's what they would call nowadays old school. Um, I've since come to know that old school trainers have a tendency to have a harsher hand. He never hit any of the dogs, but there was a lot of stiff compliance, I think I would say that was expected, you know, a lot of jerking, yanking. Um, you know, of the lead, you know, and when you're talking about young dogs, a lot of them were, you know, sort of ranging from six months upwards, um, the oldest one, I think, being 14, 15 months, you know, they're still young, you know, that sort of tissue. And whilst I, I, you know, corrected stuff, and I've since gone on to know all these things have a place, there is a way in which you do it. And so even just from those more, maybe subtle um, harshnesses that we're sort of seeing, but then when I then went on to a shoot, actually, some of the demonstrations with his own dogs out in the field was actually quite harsh. And one I actually walked away from because I couldn't keep on looking. I just thought, oh, God, no, there's absolutely no need for that. And there isn't any need for that because basically that just smacked of somebody who was frustrated in his role. The dog hadn't done what he had expected to do, but he probably set the dog up to you know to make a mistake actually and you know so it wasn't the dog's error really it was it was human error and I think a a lot of things that I've seen and I've since been part of training groups over the years where I've watched people sometimes it's been from the trainers and sometimes it's actually been from the people who I've been training with you know who come along you know to learn and, and they they may have had wrong messages passed on to them and I'm seeing it like and I remember I took a picture of a line of us in um, some feet uh, we were doing a walked up exercise and it was just a lovely moment because the dogs all look lovely and, and I'm kind of quite known for taking little photographic natural moments when they're happening but it wasn't until later that day my friend who was um, working with me that day she said oh my god did you see that picture of you know and I went and I looked back and zoomed in and he was just, you know, he was stood and his dog was there, but the dog's face was like arching back from the palm of his hand. And the palm of his hand was actually just resting by his side. But you could clearly see that the palm of his hand facing could mean anything. So the dog was going to stay wide clear of that. But he is notorious for tugging ears, you know, smacking on the side of the head, um, you know, just in frustration or in, in his way, I'm just correcting my dog. But he was actually um, asked by the people who were running the day that if he continued to do that, then he would have to go. So I, I applaud them, you know, for that. I think this is the sort of thing that came out over the weekend. So as we published more of the messages, obviously keeping them all as anonymous as we possibly could, the I had lots of messages where it was asked not to put them up. So I respected that, where they were like thanking us for even having the conversation. And I thought... Why are they thanking us? And I thought, this is because this is the conversation that's not had. I've not really thought about it. It's hard one-to-one. Like you and me could meet up somewhere and say, yo, did you see this? Or did you see that? Or blah, blah, blah. It's hard like that. But it's not being acknowledged across the sector. We know it happens. You've only got to be involved in gun dog training for a small amount of time to know it happens. And I would like to say that, if, for example, if you look at the police force, they are very good police. And then you have the one or two that sour the name. Yeah. And I think that's the case here, but I don't think it's one or two. I think that majority is higher simply because trainers have taught people who've then gone on to be trainers and they don't know any different anyway. And they are all, I never wanted to mar the name of traditional training because traditional training got us to where we are now. But there are certain things. Progression, isn't it, Jay? It's progression. Yeah. We shouldn't be bringing them bringing them forward with us. I don't personally see any need to be ragging a dog around by its ear at any point in its life. There is just no need. The, always growing up, my dad would say to us, you can pick the dog up by the scruff to put it over a fence or whatever. His mum used to pick him up by the scruff. 
use it to handle the dog, put the dog in the back of the van, pick him up by the back of the scruff. Fine. Nowhere have I been said, pick him up by the scruff, the scruff or by his neck and shake him violently until he gets the message. Because I don't understand what message any dog could ever get from that other than the person that loves me is now hurting me. Now, in my eyes, I'm not saying dogs are human because they're not. They're certainly not capable of this, the levels of emotion we are. But they do know pain and they do know hurt and they do know sadness. And they know when we are angry or upset with them. So why are we bringing this type of training forward? Yeah, we shouldn't be because just like with anything else, and I know, yes, dogs aren't human. No, they don't feel emotions on the same level that we do. They, they certainly don't think about the things the way that we do, but they are, as you say, very capable of feeling when something is not right. And actually, that's when people lose it, it's just a reflection of them losing it, you know, and not the dog itself. You know, you can be corrective, you can be firm, you know, you can be crystal clear to a dog about what is right and what is wrong and you can do that in a in a in a very you know if you've got a dog which is hot more challenging um things like that then it does require you you know to be you know firmer keep them in a, in a good lane but violence has never been the answer to anything ever in in any situation it teaches nothing all it teaches is that you've lost it and the minute you lose it, then power and respect, I think, starts to diminish. And then what happens is dogs start to learn out of fear, you know. And I've seen plenty of fear-based dogs around me, just in the general sort of shooting field. You know, there are some people that don't even advocate going to, you know, sorts of trainings and things like that. They just, it's all self-taught, you know, and that's fine. But I think then... They're not perhaps, you know, getting on board with some of the more positive ways that you can actually accomplish the same objective. You know, every dog is different, but the answer is never, ever heavy handedness. It's never violence. It's never hitting. You know, it's not for humans. It's not for dogs. It's not for anything, because that just shows that you've lost it. You've literally lost control when that moment happens. And that doesn't earn the respect of anyone. I think the other thing that's sort of frustrating for a novice person is if you've got a pup we talked about this in one of the other podcasts if I um, was coming into the horse riding world somebody would give me a horse that was 12 year old knew the job inside out and I would purchase that horse and I would learn to ride on a horse that would basically correct me it would put me right all the way through it would school me in the dog world that doesn't tend to happen because you've had if you've had a dog that long and it's been a good dog to you you keep hold of it all their life so with I think the dog world and the gun dog world must be one of the only places where you have a new owner and a new puppy put together and said crack on have a little go of that and the new owner doesn't know what's going on and the new puppy doesn't know there are rules and it probably causes some of the worst frustration and brings the worst out of people but when you are sitting in the house with that 12-week-old pup and you think, I don't know how to do this. I will seek out the guidance of a trainer. So you're you're starting out with the best will and intention in the world. And you type into the computer, gun dog trainer, because you want a gun dog trainer for your gun dog. Oh, my God, they are, they are met with the so many acronyms, types, methods, ways. They're blown away before they even know. You know, you're a long way into your journey. I'm five or six years into this journey. I still don't know what half these acronyms mean. I'm like, I don't really know what it is that I'm actually looking for. Did you find that coming in that you were a little bit like, well, what is it? What is all this? Massively. And I basically sort of set about reaching out to lots of people. I think I recognised very early on that it was a world which was very opinionated. Um, whether it be about breeds, types, colours, you know, all those types of stuff. I'd, I'd never walked into such an arena where there was such massive opinion, you know, and like, and as, as we all spoke about before, when I got my first chocolate Labrador, oh my God, you'd have thought I'd have, I'd have bought a Terry's chocolate orange. Um, <laughs> I, I plonked it in the middle of the cheese board. What are you doing? You know, type of thing. I just, you know, but I... 
my god the opinion and, and like even on you know shooting um you know and how people were running shoots and you know etiquette this that and the other and it was so different and then you know you had all these different protocols and some which were and and you know some shoots operate others don't and it was just a whole mass of confusion contradiction I'm just thinking oh my god and every time you put yourself in the hands of a trainer or somebody who's knowledgeable you know you think you're getting the right information and to a degree you are but I think what I've learned is that nowadays we're getting we're seeing more behaviorists and canine people rocking up in the training environment which is lapping over into gun dog world but it feels like the majority of gun dog trainers which have become very well known they're affiliated with uh, competitions and trials and things that they may have won so there's you know that they're heavily endorsed because you know so it comes with all of this you know gold um, attached to it because their dogs have reached field trial status and you know they've had lots of years of experience but you're talking about I think a lot of those big trainers um, you know and, and fair play to them each you know each to their own but they are living a very different life with their dogs and for them it is it's a business you know because it and so they have to they have to achieve they have to keep growing they have to keep competing they have to keep showing up um and that requires them to manage and you know exist with their dogs a different way i think the majority of our women here in this group are the people who they love their dogs um, they've decided perhaps to go into the gun dog stuff because they actually got a gun dog that oh actually no, I'd quite like to do that. We're seeing a lot more of an explosion of you know pet gun dog owners, which are you know again they're they're kind of poo pooed by some of the uh, more professional people. Um, but actually, if you looked at it probably statistically, there's probably more pet dog gun gun dog owners. But not only that, you know I always leverage it as well. I've got working gun dogs. The working season for us starts um, end of September, finishes at the end of January. You know, we're talking five months of the year, so it's not even the whole year. During that time, how many times are we actually going out? You know, Joe Average, how often will they go out? So how often is my dog going out? So when you leverage that down, actually the majority of the time, the dog is your companion at home. They're a member of the family. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, uh, training for stuff you know going to things and stuff but we also spend a lot of time just being a family doing what we need to do on a daily daily basis so all of those things you know kind of become relevant and so yeah I think for me what I've had to learn to do over time is to cherry pick everything that each different trainer bought me but I would I would sort of realize that there was parts where actually no I don't quite agree with that particular way and I don't feel that that's necessary um, so I won't do that. But I've never stopped um, putting myself into a learning environment because over the eight years of me doing this, I've noticed how much the landscape has changed. And as I said earlier, we've got a lot more behavioural stuff which is coming in. Uh, the lockdown, you know, the whole, you know, nearly two years that we've all been living through has created some global conversations about dog ownership etiquette just from how, forget about the gun dog stuff but just about understanding actually what your dog requires and I find all of that really fascinating and I think all of those things collectively have a place so when you go to a gun dog trainer um, it's not just about focusing on whether they can you know, retrieve to hand and, you know, run out 100 yards and you can stop and hunt and you can cast them left and right and blah, blah, blah. In that training setting where a dog, it's, it's a bit like if you take your kid to a, an adventure playground and you absorb all of your time and energy on them at that time, they're massively responsive, your kids, which they've got all of your attention. Your dogs are exactly the same. You want that same level of respect when you're away from that and the focus isn't always on them and can they still be balanced and exactly the same so for me it's about cherry picking what has been useful information but that actually takes time a lot of our women who are starting out doing this for the first time they are novice you know they don't know what they don't know um they are like sponges they're hungry for it they want to absorb you know and if they are absorbing the wrong information oh gosh you know then that that you know relayed over onto a dog just literally makes my blood run cold you know because now I know what I know 
I realised how dangerous the wrong information at the wrong time in someone's journey can be for them and the dog. I think the frustrating thing that we see in a lot of our ladies is almost a sadness that A, they're not going quick enough, or B, the dog is not behaving perfectly. And if I look at that, if you look at the gun dog world and what we want of our, let's call them pet gun dogs, it's not very different to what we want of any dog. The, the UK, I think they said um, on the last census, over COVID, we went from 9 million homes having dogs to 12 million. So 3 million people, or 3 million homes, they've suddenly now got a puppy and they have no idea what to do with. And that's being reflected in rescues and everywhere else. But it's because I think across all of it, we've lost the sight of what these owners need right now, regardless of the breed, working breed, mixed breed whatever they need the dog to come back when they call it they need the dog to sit still in the house while they're doing something or sit still when they're in the coffee shop and they need the dog to be calm around people it's pretty much all that's what they want maybe they want them to walk perfectly to heal maybe they want to throw a tennis ball on the beach and the dog always brings it back and not runs off but it's all we're asking for at the beginning with a pup is basic sensible common sense obedience so that the dog's got a bond with you and would rather be with you than bogging off with the person who's walking down the beach and is 500 yards away where are our trainers that that's not being trained in a positive manner to build those bonds and i know there are loads of amazing trainers and i don't want to 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 reflect on them at all because they're doing a fantastic job and they are doing this brilliantly but where are the rest of the trainers to say that what does this owner and this pup need which is the pup needs to come back. The pup doesn't need to be scared of the owner because the last time they came back, they had a clout on the head. They need to have a bond. Where is that training? Yeah, and it's not there. And I have to say that um, it's only... So last year, where I train, um, it was, it's been introduced in as much as simple things like how a young dog learns to meet and greet another dog. And I've got to be honest with you, Joe. I never even knew that that was a thing until we made it a thing and it became a thing in our group. You know, when we would just rock up, all the dogs actually got used to just being sat separately from each other. Um, Everyone just got their dogs out of their vehicles. We all just stood in our allocated spot. We did whatever the training required with these young dogs, but none of them interacted at all. And then later on, they then decided actually it was a very important thing to teach because then you start to see actually, what kind of a dog do I have? You know, we've got all of these labels now that we all have to seemingly understand and it gets a bit confusing, but actually it just boils down to what kind of a character have I got? You know, simplify the whole thing. And the simple measure of being able to take your young pup, you know, and I'm talking this was all of them were under six months, take your young pup to a group, you know, the training people, they had older, what they call stooge dogs, um, which were able to just sit and they, you know, they're not going to be paying attention to the pup. And they would just sit. And it was our job to one by one walk towards this dog in the same calm hill position and then see what your pup would do. So, you know, the ones which were lunging forward with excitement, we then were to just turn around and retrace our steps, saying nothing, um, because actually the message was, you don't get to meet somebody whilst you're in that state. So no harshness was required. It's just, no, that's not happening. And that's how it all begins, you know. But I don't know anybody who's training that. I don't know, you know, and a lot of gun dog trainers are not actually that interested in seeing dogs really until they're 12 months old because they feel like they should just be. But in that time, that, that's part of me that agrees with the fact that actually, let pups be pups because they've got so much change, growth, you know, boys, girls, hormones, testosterone, all this explosion of stuff, you know, sensory things. We're establishing, you know, what makes them fearful, what they what they get aroused by. There's a lot that happens in that, you know, and just even as they're growing, um, you know, it requires an awful lot. And I think you can use that time to create some manners and some basic because all of those basic manners and boundaries within your home, I think, is enough so that when you then go on to then train them, they've got that lovely basic respect and bonding with you. Because if you don't have a bond with a dog and if you're not like the best thing in the whole wide world, they're not really going to go on to do anything that spectacularly with you. 
you know, so use the time to do that. But you can, um, you know, also add value as you go, but on a, on a case by case basis. But we know we do not have trainers that are doing that. And this is my frustration again. So I get messages outside of this weekend, which was heartbreaking. But things like <clears throat> I've been told to lock my dog in a crate and do nothing with it till it's 12 months old. And I'm like, please, please don't do that. Now, either the message has been lost or the trainer meant has been <coughs> lost. But also, you've, it's a very dangerous thing, like you just said, to have a novice owner keeping a dog in a crate for 12 months, taking it out for pee and putting it back in. It's neglect. They don't mean to neglect their dog. I'm sure the trainer didn't mean for them to neglect their dog. But I don't care how you wrap it up, it's neglect. They need, that dog needs interaction. It's a, it's a, it's a being that requires interaction. Dogs don't live on their own. That's not the nature of their species. And I think where you just said about just general obedience, that type of steadiness, that calmness, that bond with the owner, that's the foundations of our gun dog training world. Everything else in gun dog training would be 90 times easier if the dog was calm to begin with. Yeah, so for me, because as you know, I breed, So my breeding journey has taught me um, the setup I have when they're, you know, coming out of the welcome box is frustration is one of the biggest um, corruptors of puppies. So I don't, my environment for them means that I don't, that frustration never happens because they have room and space to move which is still controlled it still has boundaries but that frustration doesn't happen um we've you know we've set up our boot room which has two parts which then links to um an enclosed outside um area with a covered roof um so it doesn't matter what time of year it is when they all reach that point of them coming out of the whelping box and we're on the move i have a big crate or two which have um, no doors on them I take all the doors off my crates which will freak most people out because the crate is in a zone it's their zone and I advocate highly that dogs should have a zone but what that means is they choose to then go in the crate for sleeping purposes they know that sleeping happens in there and toileting doesn't so when they come out of there anything from there is toileting but then they also learn that they, you know, when it comes to number twos, wees are a completely different thing, but they actually, the majority of dogs like to poop well away from where they sleep and play. And if they can go outside, all the better. And mine can go outside, you know, safely and effectively. It also teaches them to, I watch the ones which sit on the threshold, kind of going, oh, that, that smells interesting, but I'm not quite sure. Um, but what it does is it allows each individual puppy to be itself. That's my point. And that I pass on to my puppy owners who then go and take them home. And I've, you know, I've, I've as yet never had any issue when the pups go back to other people's houses. And bearing in mind, there's a big change of environment. You know, some have got dogs, some of them don't. So some of them are going from lots of dogs because mine obviously see my other dogs, which are, you know, walking around outside on the other side of the pen. You know, and others go back to a completely silent home. But the majority of them have never had any issue. And they take them home because there's been no frustration. So I think when we, we're, we're now talking about our novice ladies and, you know, where where they sit with things and what is the right thing to do and is this cruel, is it not cruel? You know, crates do have their place, but I, I believe that crates need to sit within a penned area so that the dog has some freedom. It still has its boundaries. You know, you're teaching it that this is where you need to be and this is where I need for you to be because it's safe. But yeah, I'm not an advocate of heavily crating because I think actually if they learn to settle in an area, um, then we are, it's the beginning foundations of, you know, helping that dog to be themselves. Otherwise you just, you know, frustration is, oh my God, it's a nightmare. And that is the thing, the, the frustration. Now, to bring it into example, Grace is in the house. Grace is 11, she's coming on to 12. If my dad was still alive, he would... Upper on the bench, there's a dog bench that we've got. And if she stepped off there, he'd be cross. He wouldn't rag around by her ears, but she would know he'd be cross. Because my dad was very much a traditional trainer. When I tell you to do something, you do something. There is no conversation about it. I, A, am not that strict with them to reinforce it. And B, 
I don't want it to be that they can't move off, a, you know, off a designated bench. So now I have looked with time because I've learned this over time and it is years and years that gives you this indulge training. I now have settled, which now means um, I lay like down. I don't care where you lay down, but just blinking lay down. When I get up to go to the toilet, you don't need to come with me. When I go to the fridge, I would rather you that? didn't come with me. You know, it's that type of conversation. Settle means please settle down. If we're having food, we've changed the porch. Bless my family. There are no shoes in the porch anymore. Now they've got a cupboard for themselves and the dogs have got the porch. And I'm like, right, we're having food. I'm going to put you in the porch because yeah. you guys are not going to ignore the fact that you can smell all our lovely food. You're going yeah. to be mooching around underneath. It doesn't matter how many times I'm going to tell you to settle. Yeah. So to take away the frustration, which is what we've just discussed, I just yeah. put them in the porch. Crystal and clear. Yes, so they don't have to uh, control their behaviour. Nope. I'm controlling the behaviour by making the boundaries. Not woolly, they're still very clear boundaries, but they're not so tight that they can't, they, they, they've got loads of air-up spots. So the, there's a time and place for everything. I think particularly, you know, I coexist with my dogs. We have a kennel outside, which is basically their bedroom, um, you know, or somewhere that, you know, um, if we're, there's a lot going on in the house, then they just go into the kennel yard. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a big kennel and, you know, it's an open yard. Um, they're not like in like runs and runs. They can all just whatever. It's just open pods and they can sleep and play, whatever. And I think it's really useful that dogs get used to being in different zones so that at any given time, you know, as you just, just demonstrated, when you've got mealtime going on and we've got family over, I don't want dogs everywhere. But they're really content to just be, you know, in the boot room and then, you know, then the back door will be open. They're ready to go to the toilet, they can go to the toilet. You know, some people, I think when dogs are younger, being able to control when they go to the toilet, which is why you have a penned area and a zone, um, you know, but that's all about timings of everything. But I think, you know, by and large, the, it's the stuff that you do every single day, because quite frankly, the, the gun dog training you know, if that's not going to be properly taking place until the dog is, you know, uh, a minimum of six months, um, which is, I think, when a lot of people generally sort of think about doing it, you know, and, and some which are kind of older, you know, and that's taking place once a week and you're doing your bits of homework. But actually, every single day, the things that you do daily are the things which enable the dog to build pattern, routine, trust, manners. You know, so for me, bringing 11 dogs into the house, you know, and into their boot room, it's thresholds all the way. You know, we come out of one zone, one by one to their name. We do it again coming into the boot room. And then if I'm bringing them into the house, it happens again. You know, then sometimes I might just bring out, you know, four or five of them for a cuddle and the rest of them stay. You know, so they've learned that it's not always them. Sometimes it's someone else because these are the things that are replicated later on so when I'm picking up you know I might just be sending Duke and it might be none of them it's whatever I decide whatever bird is down whatever the shoot scenario allows for so they get used to their pack not always they're not always the one you know being picked for everything so the daily repetition is the thing which I think builds and grows so then when you then have a purpose and you put them into a training setting and then you're starting to learn something else and bring different things out in the dog they trust you, they respect you, because you've demonstrated daily. And this is, I think, the, oh, for want of a better word, this is like the big, massive, centre, missing piece of a jigsaw, is because these types of skills are not being taught to people where they can teach these calmly at home before we even get to the gun dog training. So then when they train up, turn up for the gun dog training in six months, six months to two years, I pretty much would say... Or even more, if you know you haven't put the work into the dog. My, you know, for me, Buddy and Ella, they're coming up to three. Still cast them as babies a little bit because I know what yep. amount of, of work they've had with dad passing. Why are you trying to enforce such, not routine, but why in a training situation would a trainer ask a young dog to behave so perfectly when he doesn't even know what the game was to begin with? So how do I teach a dog, um, like you said, to deliver sitting perfectly in front of me you know put your head up give me whatever I've thrown that's not even a, a natural position a we should be really blessed that the 
Lincoln thing brought you back to begin with, right? The fact that it's made the effort as a pup, as a youngster, untrained, to be all excited, to go out, get something for you and bring it back. Does it matter that it doesn't sit down straight away? Should we not be encouraging the natural behaviours we want to see? You know, I do believe in correction, and we'll come back to that in a little minute. But really, we're not even given enough time to train with this. The problem is not correction. The problem is the dog doesn't understand. No, and I think um, this is the biggest misconception. It doesn't matter how old your dog is. If you put yourself into a training environment, you're basically saying, okay, what does my dog know? So in order to understand that, you do a sequence of things. But then also, I think everything's very context specific. I've learned that, you know, my dogs have been great in certain things, retrieving and doing stuff. Switch up the context or add in a few different things. All of a sudden, actually, it becomes apparent they haven't fully understood that command. So I think, you know, we're not talking about correction, but I think in terms of being able to progress and move forward, you actually have to understand, well, actually, what has my dog done? And I don't think enough people proof things. I think if you train in the same area, if you train on the same land, you know, because environment is very indicative of what a dog takes in. Um, and then if you ask it to do it in a completely different terrain, you might find actually they've not fully understood. I would have been about um, four, four or so years into my training experiences and kind of growing my knowledge and found myself on a training day uh, with a group of people, you know, I know them well. And I was in a situation whereby I was being asked to do something quite abruptly with my dog. It wasn't sitting well with me. I tried to express that actually, no, he was struggling to, he clearly had not understood the back command, but because he was now sort of three, nearly four, there was an expectation from my trainer that actually he should know this. We've done this a million times. But as I've said before, everything is context specific. And I think there was just something about this particular exercise where I cast him out. He'd probably gone at a good um, 70 yards, gone through a gateway. I stopped him. Um, he stopped beautifully. And I then needed to push him back. Whether the nature of the land and having gone through a gateway and, you know, he'd done all of that because for some dogs it can be a problem. He just sat frozen. And I just went and, he went, and I was I was instructed to be quite forceful and, you know, really go back, you know, be really, really firm. And then I was asked to go closer to him because he was just sat there. Now, I know my dog well enough to know that actually when he doesn't understand something, he will sit there. He, he wasn't being, you know, as I was hearing in my other ear, no, he's just being an absolute dick. He's just, you know, this, that and the other. And I'm thinking, no, he's not. He just he doesn't understand what I'm asking him to do. We'd done, you know, we'd, it was near the end of, 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 our, of our session. Everyone was quite tired. I felt under pressure to get the job finished because everyone needed to go home. You know, the sun was setting and it had been a long time. And I allowed that pressure to get to me. And I walked up in front of my dog and I went, go back. And he went, that's not working, is he? he said, so run in towards him and really tell him off. And I found myself doing it and I did it. And then, and, and it's sort of, and, you know, Poor Duke, he sort of like, he sort of went back a little bit. And then I went, no, it's not going to work. And I slipped on the leads and I walked, I walked back with him. And from that moment, I vowed never to allow somebody and the pressure of the fact that it would already, you know, we were near the end of the session. It was no time to go home. And I would advocate the same for everybody. As soon as something feels not right and you know enough yourself to know your dog, actually, he sat there with utter confusion and it was irrelevant how old he was. It was irrelevant how many other spectacular things he can do and accomplish. He did not understand what I was asking him. And that was a me problem, not a him problem. And I think those distinctions become quite clear. And that's, you know, from somebody from me who was, you know, a good four years into my education of, of dogs. And, and yet that can still happen. You know, so pressure in environments from other people and scenarios can get us all a bit hot under the collar but it was certainly was a lesson that I took on board and I will always have the confidence to stand up for my dog and say no my dog can't do that and if I see them struggling have the power and the confidence to say 
I'm going to slip a lead on and we're just going to take a step back. And that the fact that you can remember and bring back, you know, I, you know, we're videoing this as we record the podcast so I can see the emotion on your face still hurts you now that you you did that because you knew that the, the dog wasn't ready for it. And it's about finding the trainers who, when you say, you know, the trainer might want, it's their job to encourage you to, to, to move the dog forward. But when you say, I'm not comfortable with that, or I don't understand that, that they don't get frustrated with you either. Instead, they say, okay, let's look at that. Why, why are you worried about that? What do you think? Because again, you do know that dog better than they do. They get well, to see it for one hour a week of its life, if that. Yeah, I mean, this this was the dog that, bless him, we got that lovely, um, you know, one in the gun dog journal, but this was Duke who had overcome gun nervousness and lack of confidence to pick up birds. We are a team. And now, I mean, he turns five in January and he is my absolute go-to, you know, and, and I, I very nearly could have undermined what we had done and accomplished and shared. So I absolutely knew that he wasn't a dog as I was being, you know, in my ear. He wasn't taking the piss out of me. You know, this was a dog that for whatever reason, he did not understand what I was asking him to do. The back command for him, you know, just wasn't there. And I do think the one emotion dogs do share with us is trust. And once yeah. that trust is broken, I don't know. I may be wrong because I'm very, very young at all this. But I think if you break a trust with the dogs, very, very hard for that dog to ever fully believe in you like it did before. Just as it, in between humans, it's very hard when you've broken trust to ever regain the same level of faith you had in each other. I think once you've broken that trust, that dog will always be weary of your intentions doubt they will doubt you yeah um because it's like you know for that moment what are you doing what are you asking of me and now you're getting really cross and angry and, and now you're getting closer to me and oh my god now you're in my face and I'm just like and, and, and even as I stood there you know but the pressure of where I felt that I was I felt pressure from all around and yeah and, and there probably was a bit of confusion to me we've, we've you know we've done back command a million times what's happening here but you then have to kind of go what it's irrelevant. He's he's not taking. He just doesn't understand. And now I've made it worse because now he's looking at me as if to say, "I don't even." You've never shouted at me because I've never needed to. Yeah. You know, so what's happening? And I felt absolutely awful. You awful. mentioned earlier proofing, and I know, like in the Hot Mess Handler course, they teach us very much the train of the distance, duration, distraction, and they will say every single time if something's not going right change one of them you know is it the distance is it the duration is it the distraction what is it now for you looking back over time you could probably say well it may be been the distance and it might have been the distraction of going through the posts you know you know what those things are and how you yeah. mentioned them aligned somewhere to those three and every one of our trainers say Redu- reduce it reduce the time you know reduce the distance you've looked at the distraction in time had you not felt the pressure of all that you might have said okay well I'm going to reset inside the gate send him back and then send go the other side of the gate and send him back so we work out what it is but it is that pressure of people making you think that that dog has got to get it straight away when reality is there is no time limits on this is it no there isn't and I think you know we're all human and we're all capable of feeling pressure and none of us knows how we're going to react at any given time and yeah I basically allowed my training environment and my setting and the pressure of being the last one to go and that everybody else's dog had no they hadn't done it perfectly um but they'd they'd managed to find a way to get the job done and get the retrieve and and I didn't and and I think you know it's important to remember that you know these things will happen and we are all only human but I massively allowed all of those things to affect me and I allowed the 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 the, the white noise of my trainer to push me into being something that I'm naturally not. Don't do it, people. <laughs> Just don't do it. I think, unfortunately, this is where pressure comes in because people develop an expectation. Well, we've been doing this for months and weeks and they've been doing it perfectly fine. Now they're not. Well, okay, well, why is that? Um, it could actually be that there's something wrong with your dog. It could be something medical. Is it you? You know, you have the shit day. You're actually channeling it through and your dog is picking up on all of that. 
and you're not really in the game? You know, or is it that you've changed the environment, something different has changed and it's causing your dog to have a bit of confusion? And I think it's only the people who, you know, truly know and understand their dogs um, and themselves, actually, because sometimes the accountability is us. And we are fully aware that we head off because, you know, um, this is training day and it's all booked in. And But actually, I've had a really shit day and I've had an argument with my husband and the kids are really pissing me off. And, you know, now I'm running late and, oh, shit, I forgot my whistle. Now I've got to borrow somebody's and, oh, bloody hell, it's raining and I haven't got a hat. You know, and you arrive and you're a right bag of shite. And, and, and all of a sudden your dog's going, what's going on? And then you're asking it to do something. You don't realise that your tone has changed. One of the most powerful things I do for myself when I can is um, I've got myself a tripod and I'll video myself because often, and I learned this from shooting, so when you have somebody who's teaching you to shoot, you've got a coach over your shoulder, in your head, you're doing one thing, but actually in reality, something different is happening. Um, And I think if you watch yourself back, you'll suddenly go, oh, God, do I do that? And then you notice, actually, your tone of voice has changed. You know, and it's a bit kind of like, you know, when people get desperate when a dog, when they're trying to recall the dog back, all of a sudden their voice gets quite angry. You know, so now, now that's basically, that's, that's one of the first subtle levels of losing control. When actually that person who's losing control and shouting and then starts swearing it is the person who's embarrassed and that's ego talking you know because someone's we have fucking get back in it's like no 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 and the dog's like absolutely is that dog going to come anywhere near you uh one of the one of my i remember my first um trainer he that point very much stayed with me because when a dog was doing something incorrectly he sort of tapped somebody on the shoulder who was you know losing the plot with their dog um, we were in a training setting that so couldn't go anywhere, but it was just literally showboating all over the place. And he just put his hand on their shoulder and went, look, just if you want to swear, that's fine. But say it with a really lovely voice. Come here, you little fucking shit. Come on. <laughs> um, because they have no concept of the words that you're using, but they have every concept of your tone of voice. But actually, by putting yourself in that tone of voice, it brings you back down to a place where you can have some control because, you know, that is the first level of losing it. I'm hoping that this podcast will be I'm going to put it when somebody joins the group that they go and listen to this first, because in order to know what type of trainer you need to go to, you need to understand the training journey you're about to go on. And the first thing you I think from discussing this with you and from discussing with other members, you're looking for a trainer that's got patience, but will also teach you what you need to do. We don't want to go to trainers where they are in any way cruel to our animals because there's no need for it. There are corrections you can do, like you just said, you tone of voice. A tone of voice can be used with an older dog as a correction by just, you know, like, oi, or whatever the dog needs, individual to the dog. And that's something that as a novice, you need to learn what level does my dog need of my involvement or my correction? So, you know, for my two, just literally going, oi, that is it. But then you can't go to the other extreme and go to trainers where they say there are no rules. Because when you then get to a position where you are walking on that dog on a beach and it's running after somebody's aggressive dog and it won't come back to you or when you take it out onto the street and it runs in front of a car you need to be able to look after your dog you do and I think you know that 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 always starts you know with the with, with the young dog and again you know I have um biting is obviously one of those big things that puppies do and people always seem to be quite confused by how how to correct that because there's a lot of people that will tell you well, that's what puppies do yeah that is what puppies do however you know if you've got a small child you wouldn't allow them to keep repeating behaviours, you know, kicking you in the shins relentlessly. You'd do something about it. There'd be a consequence. And it's at these early stages that, you know, it's OK to be, um, you know, you know, an, ah, 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 with, a, with, a, with a puppy, you know, a little tap on its nose when it's kind of biting you. Um, little things like, you know, people who uh, when you put your hands, you know, to a puppy, they're often quite interested. But actually, if you keep jerking it away, they see that as a game. 
and then you then go in to sort of like you know smooth them and then that becomes a game so actually if you keep your hand still um and then you know and when the puppy starts to bite it you go ah, ah, ah no it starts to realize that actually no it doesn't happen but don't move your hand away wait for them to stop doing that and then or give them something else you know to play i think you know for people across the board there is so much information that they need to filter and i think the pressure becomes enormous when they sort of start thinking about the responsibility of the gun dog stuff I would say don't overwhelm yourself with that to begin with, because actually you have to grow with the puppy and just those daily experiences and learning how to manage them as you go through. And it happens very quickly because, listen, puppies, they progress on very, very quickly. But if you don't get that right, then you're just going to have an absolute nightmare when you turn up, you know, in your training group. And then you're going to feel like the one who's got the ASBO dog, you know, and you think, oh, my God, everyone else seems to be. But basically other people which are there and they seem to be in control have just perhaps got more experience you know they've been there before there's things that they do so they're more familiar um but I'm always very open and and you know and I always try to be very helpful and accommodating you know sort of to people which are in that position because I know how difficult it can be and I know how overwhelmed I felt and it is overwhelming because you feel this enormous responsibility for a dog but it's as much about you growing as well you know, you as your your dog is only as good as you can teach and educate it. And if you are confused at any point about anything at all, if you don't find a way to settle that, you know, through groups like ours, through trainers, through belief and trust and working through it, then there's no point progressing on to anything else, you know. And, and, and I think still there are a lot of people who go about their training and they're not quite sure what job or purpose they're going to have that then creates confusion in your training styles your methods what you're going to do and it also creates pressure you know there's people that want to compete and that's absolutely fine you know if you're a competitive type but remember with competition comes pressure you know and with that comes an expectation whether you think it openly or not you know so be prepared for all of those things because actually is it is it about your expectation or you know your dog living to its full potential and it could well be that you're asking your dog to do something that is not within its capabilities and you have to learn to be okay with that if you want to go on to compete you know for me I'm just happy to see my dogs happy and content in daily life and when I'm able to work them they work and watching them come alive and see their breed in action it's just joyful but it is a massively complex environment but in no way shape or form should violence ever be the response to getting you to anywhere like me and you've got a really fascinating situation right now when we came to this conversation we are both coaches of, of people of humans so we we understand training and we understand teaching and mentoring and coaching at a very high level but with people not dogs so we can come to it with a different perception and maybe a more understanding of what the the new person is feeling because it is very easy in our journeys as we go on year by year by year to forget how it felt to be that novice that new person with the dog so I always think, how how does the new person feel? How, think, Joe, how did you feel? What was you worried about? What was you scared about? What was you think? And there is just this literally feeling of, I want to do the best for this dog, but I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know how to do that. And in picking the wrong trainer, you will build habits within the human owner that then is set for life it'll be really hard to change that those ways unless you're open like you said to always learning always learning if you're not that type of person and you're going to go to the training sessions and that way is going to be your way it's going to be very hard for you to change that isn't it it can be I think again it's about leveraging your expectation and I think there is no uh, there's no time limit on how long it takes to get a dog trained because every single dog is different some dogs learn really quickly pick things up and they just have natural ability in spades but then they might have other things where they're literally rubbish in certain home settings or certain social settings that makes them a problem on a daily basis or they might be 
you know, a menace to other dogs or do you know what I'm saying? That there are, you know, no dog is perfect and we certainly are not perfect. So I think, you know, leverage that and take the time to understand your dog and its strengths and its weaknesses um, and its flaws and just accept them. You know, none of us are perfect, you know, and dogs certainly are not. But I, I would bargain that they are a lot more perfect than we are as humans because they're less complicated in that way. And it's only us humans that kind of, you know, underpin and undermine certain things or by not allowing them. But, you know, also take away the time time thing, but also, you know, really, really understand um, what it is you want from your dog, you know, because and be prepared for it to be, you know, a mothership of ups and downs, but also recognise that it's never a done deal. A dog is never fully trained. I don't care what anyone says. And even when dogs reach, you know, field trial champion status, basically, that person has put like an order, like if you're training for a marathon, you know, it's train, 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 but there's competition, there's competition. You've got to keep going with dogs. You know, we have to keep going with ourselves. We're constantly correcting ourselves as humans. You know, we're having good days and bad days. Um, we've got lots of other different things that we need to fulfill. Dogs don't have as many criteria that we have to fulfill. You know, so be realistic, you know, with your expectations and in line with that, because it will reflect on you know what you're doing it's like you know I've, I've had a, a a busy last six months you know with with health and grandchildren it's been a busy old time and so I've, I've gone for damage limitation so rather than undermining anything I've done with the dogs if I haven't been able to to train or do quite as much as I wanted to be able to do I go for damage limitation I don't create scenarios environments where they can completely unravel and completely get it wrong I just tick, keep ticking things over. And when I can add content and quality, I do. But I take the pressure away from myself when I can't. And I think that's an important distinction because I think every time people rock up in training scenarios, you know, they think that everyone is doing more than they are or they've got this, that and the other or, you know, or they can train in better places than I can. And that, well, that may well be the case, but actually dogs don't need you know, um, you know, the men dips to train on. They don't need an inordinate amount of land, you know, to be able to do that. They just need you to be committed and to be consistent with what you're doing. You could just pick a quiet corner in your little bit of woodland and have, you know, quality. Um, and I think this is where, uh, you know, if I look back on my own experiences and where you can feel deflated, disheartened, you know, what's happening, what's, you know, take a look at everything. But if, if you're finding it getting overwhelming, then just take a step back, take a breath, you know, look at what's actually really happening, realign your expectations and go again with that, you know. And is that, the, you know, the I say, oh, you know, you've got compare sight dust to the kids, right, to make a bit of a laugh out of it. Um, compare sight dust in my eyes, you know, we can have it, we can have that go into uh, an aerobics class, can't we? Oh, that person can bend more, that person looks thinner, that thing. That's like in our heads, the dogs, I in, in my time with dogs I've never seen a dog look at another dog but they're looking way better at this than me <laughs> I don't believe they have that that concept nor do they particularly care even if they did they just get on with their sort of day so to, to finalize this now because um we try to keep we could talk about this forever and, okay. and I, it's, I think it is a fascinating subject I don't think and this again may be controversial I don't think it's what label of trainer you go to I think there are very very good traditional trainers they're very very good positive trainers there's very good lots of different types of trainers I think if you're new and you're going to look for a trainer you're looking for a trainer who has kindness and has patience and can show you how to get your dog to where you want it to go in a positive manner that allows for the fact that you're both learning would that be fair it would be fair and they have to be supportive of you you know, I have been to trainers where they might be very good at knowing things with dogs and having techniques and ways in which to accomplish something, but they're absolutely hopeless with people. And I'm afraid the two go hand in hand. You know, you can't, it's a bit like going to a, a bad doctor, but we only call him a bad doctor because he's got a horrible bedside manner, but actually he's probably, you know, he's he's so qualified and has so much experience that he just focuses on that rather than his bedside manner. Um, but unfortunately, in, in, you know, but he only has to get the job done and prescribe and diagnose and, and all of that. He doesn't actually have to coach you on to anything else. It's helpful if you have one, which is a really nice doctor. But with training, 
it's not just about the skills and techniques for the dogs. It's about you as a handler. Um, and I think I distinctly remember reaching a point um, in my dog journey that I went from being an owner to being a handler. But if I'm honest, it took me a good four years to feel like I could then actually use the word handler with some merit um, because actually experience um, is what gets you to where you need to be. And I think that's something that everyone needs to leverage as well when they start out with dogs. You don't, you can have the passion for it. You can have a lovely dog for it. You can have the dedication for it. You can have the right trainer behind you. But actually, it's all your experiences wrapped up together and all linked together that enables you to sort of step into your space and fully own it and understand, you know, I'm a handler with a dog and then we're a team. Because ultimately, if you've got a working gun dog, you're a team and you have to learn that when you go out on a job, um, you both are working together and you've got to learn to recognise that actually there's times when I see, when I think my dog is not listening to me and it's gone off up a tree line, actually my dog knows something I don't. So I've learned to just take a step back and go, okay, now I'm going to stop with the recall because actually you've centred something. Um, and sure enough, you know, give it a few minutes and, and out will pop my dog with a bird. So you've got to grow that confidence and understand that actually that's the whole reason why we have dogs on a shoot, because they know things that we don't. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much for a fantastic podcast. Um, I'm sure all the ladies are going to absolutely love it. Um, next week, join us for another podcast on this theme where we will be talking to other different organisations on how they feel dog training can progress in the working dog world. Thank you very much and we shall see you all next week. Thank you.